We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. I'd like to share tonight out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, before we partake of communion tonight. And you know... I'm sure we've grappled with this question before. Why do they call it Good Friday? Because this is the, the, the day, the most horrific thing in the history of the world took place. Where we killed God. You know, and how can you call that, you know, Good Friday? But I know you guys know enough of the Bible to know that it was in His death that we live. And that's what set us free. You know, and that's why we can call it Good Friday. You know, a lot of you here, you're going through, and there's, there's a lesson there. This is a side note. I can't even begin to imagine the things that you're going through, the heartache that you're experiencing, you know, with your family, with your marriage, with your finances, with your, with your health, mental issues, so a lot of crazy things that are going on, and, and it's just so bad. But, you know, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, He's able to transform that and make it make it good. He's able to take the tragedies and make them victories. Genesis 50:20, Joseph said, "What you meant for evil, God meant for good." And I want to encourage you that in that tonight because I know that that's really, you know, where we are. We're we're hurting, we're struggling with so many things because because we're not home yet, you know, but that cross is a message that God can take the, the crazy things of life and he can turn them around and use them for good. And that's what Good Friday is all about. You know, last night we went over Mark chapter 14 and we kind of just moving our way towards uh, Sunday, the day that we celebrate his resurrection. And so tonight I just want to kind of go through Mark 15. I hope you have your Bible. If not, you can raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring you one. But, you know, just, man, there's power in the Word of God. You know, there's a lot of messages that you guys are hearing out there. Did you guys know that the average young adult spends 7 hours and 45 minutes in front of the screen? They call it screen time every single day. And so you guys are hearing a message on Facebook. You're hearing a message on the computer, on the television, via media, almost 8 hours a day. But you're spending 14 minutes a day with your mom. And if you're lucky, five minutes a day with your dad. And so you're hearing a lot of crazy things. And that's why it's important for us to be in the Word. And as we read the Word, there's power here. And God will do a great work in your life. And where we, we learn about our Lord and, you know, and how much He loves us, man. You know, I remember the first time uh, I told my wife I loved her. I don't think she believed me. And, of course, it took time to prove. But even now, you know, sometimes you wonder, man, do they really love you? They say they love you. Do they really love you? Their life will show it, right? You know, Jesus died for you. Romans 5.8 says God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, that's a, that's a very important message. Because I think a lot of times in the religious scene... The message that goes out is really wrong. It says that if you're good, God will love you. It says if you dot every I and cross every T, then God will really love you. And you'll you'll be one of his favorites. 
But let me correct that. That's not true. No matter who you are, what you've done, what you're going through, what you're involved in right now, I'm not saying that God advocates that behavior, but you've got to know this. He loves you. And there's nothing you can do to change that love. Some of you guys, you're, you're really bad. I can tell just by looking at you. I see tattoos. I mean, uh, I'm just joking. Um, you know, we, we, we've done a lot of crazy things. And God loves you. And we're going to see that in the cross. And that's why it's important to make sure that we understand, you know, that we get our truth not from the screen or not from the religious scene out there, but we get our, we get our truth from the Bible. And here in the book of Mark, chapter 15, it says in verse 1, Immediately in the morning, the chief priests, they held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they, they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. And then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, It is as you say. Now, it, you know, the Lord got arrested the night before, the Thursday. Remember the Passover? He went to the Garden of Gethsemane. He really won the victory in prayer. And then he was arrested. Then they took him to the high priest Annas and then Caiaphas and back to Annas. And what we find is the Lord was having these mockery of a trials. Then the temple court began to spit on him and beat him. And then what happens is the next day we find him here in front of the Sanhedrin. And they condemn him. They convict him. But they can't put him to death. They don't have that type of authority. So what do they need to do? They need to take him to the Roman authorities. And so they bring him here in verse 2 to this guy named Pilate. He was the governor there. And uh, apparently the, their, their accusation was this. He says he's the king. And that would obviously be a crime punishable by death because there was only one king. And so the Pilate asked him, are you the king? He says, yeah, it is as you say. Wouldn't it be cool if Jesus was our president? Wouldn't that be cool, you guys? Wouldn't it be cool if he was the king? If he was reigning there in Jerusalem over all these knuckleheads, man. These guys that are just, they just don't have a clue what it means to, to serve, that they've been given authority to serve, that they've been given a scepter to practice righteousness. You know, the Lord is the king. Unfortunately, nobody wanted him to be king. One day he will rule. And so the Lord says, you know what it is, as you say, and verse 3, the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. The chief priests uh, told him, oh, you know what, he forbids them to pay taxes. He's mustering up a rebellion. He's a troublemaker. And he says that he's king and all these things, right? But now the Lord doesn't say anything. In verse 4, Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you? But Jesus still answered nothing. So that Pilate, he marveled at that. Now, if you get a chance, you guys, I encourage you tonight, you go home and read Isaiah 53. Isaiah 52, the last three or four verses, and then you go through 53, and it's an amazing prophecy 700 years before about Jesus, how he would come and be this suffering servant. He would be the Lamb of God, you know, that would die for our sins. But there he talks about how Jesus was led away as a lamb was silent before its shearers, so he opened not his mouth. If you guys were being led away, if you were being unjustly accused, wouldn't you like speak up? But the Lord here doesn't say much, 
And there's a couple of reasons for that. One of the reasons, probably the main reason, is this. You want to know something? If you don't really listen, then you're probably not going to hear God's voice. Did you know that? You know, God will speak to you. Have you ever heard God's voice? Audibly? Okay, good. There's no one here that's weird. Okay, we get past that. But, you know, when you're reading the Word and you're listening to a message or whatever the case may be, and you can honestly say in your heart, that was God. God spoke to me. It's a good thing. And I think healthy Christians, they have that type of relationship with the Lord in which, you know, the Lord speaks to you. But if you're not going to listen, if you're not going to obey, then he's probably not going to talk to you. One of the greatest things that I need in life is I need God to talk to me. And so I need to listen. The religious leaders, if you'll notice, Jesus was talking to Pilate a little bit, but once the religious leaders got around, he didn't say anything. Because they were not listening to God anymore. And that's the world that we live in. They won't listen to God anymore. And so we have to go to the Supreme Court, and we have to argue about you know, marriage between a man and a woman based on you know, the logics of family and society I mean, God forbid that we would ever go to the Supreme Court and just tell them, God says it's wrong. We can't even argue that way anymore. Because our world is now a world that won't listen to God. They don't want God in the schools. They don't want to pray. They don't want to bring their Bibles. And it's just a crazy world that we live in. I mean, and so there's a lesson there, you guys. Jesus isn't saying anything primarily because they aren't listening. And so do you want to hear God's voice? Then have a heart that, that listens. Like Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. And you watch what ends up happening. But here, here Jesus isn't saying much. And so it says in verse 6, Now at the feast he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. And then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And you'll notice as we go through our text, six times Jesus is called the king, the king, the king. And look at verse 10, For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them, Well, then what do you want me to do with him who you call the king of the Jews? And so they cried out again, saying, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. And so in the feast, remember the feast of Passover, now beginning the feast of unleavened bread, Every year there was this special thing that they would do. They would release a prisoner. Now here's the thing that happened. Pilate knew that it was the religious leaders who had handed Jesus over. The religious leaders, and this happens a lot of time, unfortunately, with people. There's that pride and there's that envy. Jesus was kind of taking their you know, people away from the religious leaders. And so they handed him over because of envy. And so Pilate thought, I had an idea. What I'll do is I'll, I'll ask the crowd. I'm sure the public opinion will be for the Lord, right? And so he says, hey, they start talking back and forth. Hey, release to us a prisoner. Okay, I've got an idea. What do you guys think? How about I release to you, what do you think, between Barabbas, who was a rebel, a murderer, a notorious prisoner, or Jesus? And so what Pilate is thinking is, this is my way out. 
right? And what, did the, what ends up happening? The religious leaders start stirring up the crowd. And they start influencing the people. And what ends up happening? They end up asking for Barabbas, the murderer, the, re- the rebel, the notorious prisoner. And, and, and Pilate's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. What do you want me to do with Jesus? I mean, everybody knew what he had done. What had he done that was so bad? He had only healed the blind and made the lame to walk and make the dead to rise and spoke the greatest words ever spoken. What in the world did they want to kill him for? The religious leaders, they just stirred up the crowd. When they, they, Jesus, crucify him. What? Crucify him. It's another lesson. Another lesson. A lot of people, they like to follow the crowd. You know, a lot of you are here tonight on a Friday night, and that's kind of cool, you know, but really, you know, on Sundays, most people, you want to know where they're at? They're at the malls. You go to the malls. How how do you I know? One day I played hooky. I got to tell you, I played hooky, man. I took off church. I asked Dr. Beloyan to teach for me, and I just took my daughter to the mall. I wanted to hang out with her all that day. And when we went, we went to a restaurant first, and I'm all, look at all these people here. Shouldn't they be in church, you know? <laughs> and then we went to the mall, and I'm like, man, this place is packed. Or the beach, or whatever, you know, they go to the basketball game. And, you know, you guys that are here as Christians, you're not the majority. You're the minority. You're the vast minority who are following God and, and holding to the Scriptures. You are not followers by nature other than the Lord. And, and here we see the crowd once again stirred up by the influence of society of a few, and they, they definitely make the wrong decision. You know, the road to, to heaven is narrow, and there are few who find it. So the whole crowd, they're just like, hey, you know, crucify him. Crucify him. So in verse 15, the sad words, Pilate wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. How many of you guys here growing up got a thrangasso by your parents? Right? Some of you here, maybe it wasn't a pretty memory, and my heart goes out to you, because sometimes there is that physical abuse, and I'm sorry for that. But you know, Jesus knows how that is. Uh, he was scourged 39 times with a cat of nine tails. It was, a, it was a whip with all these leather strands with bits of bones and glass and rocks in it. And you guys are probably, have any of you guys seen The Passion of the Christ? Okay, that was nothing compared to what it really was. 39 lashes, boom, boom, boom. By the time they were done with him, he was looking like a piece of meat. Couldn't tell he was a man, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 52. His visage was marred more than any man. They scourged him. A lot of guys would die from the very scourging itself. But now, as we see, man, he began to to show how much he loves you. How much do you love me? You know, and some people, I don't know. I guess a lot of times we don't know what love is. He said, I love you this much. And he died on a cross for you. How many people do you know that have died for you? God died for you. And so we read in verse 16, the soldiers were going to take care of business, but before they do, they want to have some fun. The soldiers led him away into the hall called the Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison. And they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. 
And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. These soldiers had probably committed so many uh, executions that their heart had got hard. To them, it's a sport now. And so what do they do? Well, they hear, hey, this guy claims to be the king. And so they take the thorns, they're probably about an inch and a half, two inches long, and they make a crown of thorns. Now, most of the time when we see a crown of thorns, we see a circle. But that's probably not what it was. It probably completely covered his head. It was a crown that covered his head, and then they took the reed and they started beating him, boom, into his head. And they mocked him, bent the knee, and they worshipped him. You know, and it's a crazy thing when you see individuals, their hearts get so hard. They mock Christianity, huh? Have you guys ever experienced that? Someone broke my headlight the other day. You know, because I have a Jesus, you know, magnet or whatever on my truck. And I wish I knew it was like a run him over or something, you know? I mean, if it was any of you here, please fess up, repent of your sins, or you will go to hell. No, I just joking. <laughs> you know, I was like, man, you know. But I see it, and sometimes I see some of the conversations people are having on, on Facebook and just places like that, which I, if I need to say this as well, Facebook is a scary, scary place. You have to be super disciplined to have Facebook as a, as a ministry. But if you are and are sanctified to the Lord, it can be a good thing. But there's a lot of garbage on there, huh? There's a lot of things you see with your eyes that you wish you would have never saw, huh? So we've got to be careful. But the thing is, is that they're mocking us. They're mocking us, you know, because we believe in a God who made us. We don't believe that we're here by accident, by random chance. They do. In all reality, we should be mocking them. You know, you guys, man, to believe that we're here by absolute accident, by random chance, by a series of fortuitous occurrences, it takes more faith for you to believe that than to me, for me to believe in God who made me. You know, they, well, how do you know it's Christianity? How do you know Christianity is the way? Because it's simple. He's the only one who died and rose again. Muhammad stayed dead, right? Krishna stayed dead. Buddha stayed dead. Jesus died and rose again. That's how we know. They, they shouldn't be mocking us. Christians are just people who, who see the facts and they place their faith in him. But what do they do? Uh, they mock the Lord. And he goes through all this. Have you ever had somebody push your button? Yeah? And how many of you here failed the test? If you raise your hand, you know. Who are you to talk to me like that? Do you know who I am? <laughs> and, you know, they say something about you or they say something to you and they, you know, they put you down or they, they ruffle your pride. I'll be the first to admit, you know, when my daughter or my son or every once in a while my wife might do that, you know. I mean, it's just, it's ugly what comes out of me. Just a pride. And God says, you got to humble yourself. Look at what your God did. How they did all this to him. And he just took it. You know, they're spitting on him. Have you ever had anybody spit on you? And beating you? And you knew you're God. And think about this, you guys. God doesn't need us. I mean, we saw the way that, you know, that video said that you were worth it. The only reason we're worth it is because he values us. In and of ourselves, we have no worth. In and of ourselves, we're rebels, we're wicked, we're wretched, our righteousness is as filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. But you are valuable. You want to know why? Because God values you. But he didn't need you. 
And so he could have just said, you know what, forget it. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee or something. I don't know. He could have just walked out on this whole thing, but he didn't. And he went forward. And so when these soldiers are there and they're done, what ends up happening in verse 21, you know, Jesus goes out and, you know, it says they took, in verse 20, they put his own clothes back on him. It doesn't say they took the crown off. But apparently Jesus is now heading towards the cross. It'll be about 650 yards going down the Via de la Rosa. And then it says, They compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, and he was coming out of the country, passing by to bear his cross. Apparently Jesus had fallen a few times. The cross weighed about 110 pounds, just the cross beam. So as he's, he's walking through, think about that. Jesus was strong. He was a strong man. But he fell. And so they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. And then they gave him wine mingled with drink to, you know, to, to drink, but he didn't take it. He didn't want the epidural. He didn't want the painkiller. Okay? He says, man, I'm going to face this with all my senses. And then in verse 24, and when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. You got to make sure you don't read that too fast. And when they crucified him. You know, I mean, we could just kind of go through that, but you guys know what that is, right? That means they put seven-inch nails in his hand, seven-inch nails in his other hand. They placed him up on the crossbeam. They bent his legs just a little bit. They gave him a little pad of balm to sit on, and then they nailed his feet to the cross. The cross was invented by the Phoenicians. It was mastered by the Romans to give the maximum pain over an extended period of time. Some people would be on the cross four days, maybe even nine days. There was one recorded event and one individual was there nine days. When you're on the cross, the birds would come and say, hey, I like eyes. Start picking at you. It was the most humiliating thing. A Roman citizen would never be crucified. But here is God on a Roman cross. You know, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that he humbled himself even to the point of death, even the death of a cross. That's what God has done for us. It says right there that they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them. Imagine that. God is dying there on the cross, and man, people are just there, they're playing games, they're throwing dice, they want to win his clothing. That's prophesied in the book of Psalm, chapter 22. And so it says in verse 25, now it was the third hour and they crucified him. So it was about nine in the morning. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. That's out of Isaiah chapter 53 verse 12. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, that's from John chapter 2, save yourself and come down from the cross. See, and that right there is the key. He wasn't saving himself, huh? Who was he saving? Us. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Now that he was saving you guys. I pray that you, and I know a lot of you here, you're already Christians. I pray that you would just stay dialed in to the, to the love and the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the reason that I say that is because, you know, what we're growing in the Lord and we want to be stronger Christians. And I pray that you really have that heart to be holy and to be used by God. But you got to make sure that you never let go of the gospel, that even though we blow it, that even though we have, you know, some bad days and things that happen, when we place our faith in Jesus, that we are free, we are forgiven, we are his. We are redeemed. Because if you start just, just focusing only on what your performance is, you're going to strip yourself of joy and, and peace and the gospel. You know, and I see, you know, my brother struggling sometimes, but I know he loves Christ. And I reach out to him and try to help him. Or I see my sister over here and she might be struggling. I struggle. I struggle sometimes. And you're like, pastors can't struggle, can they? You'd be surprised, man. I, I, I always try to tell people, you know, because some people think, well, he's probably the most perfect guy in the church. And you guys know that's way not true. That's way not true. There are many men here that will receive greater rewards in heaven than I will. This is a part of the body that I have. But I want to encourage you in this to know that when he was on the cross, he was saving you. He was dying for your sins. And he couldn't save himself because if he took himself off, then we ourselves wouldn't be saved. And so the devil is just trying to make him, you know, oh, this, I don't want him to finish. And the chief priests in verse 31 also mocking among themselves with the scribes, they said, he saved others himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Those were the two thieves on both sides. Eventually, one of them got saved just by watching him die. And so now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Okay, so Jesus was put on the cross at nine o'clock. That's the third hour. The sixth hour, all of a sudden, there was darkness everywhere. You know what probably happened at that point? You know what probably happened? It was at that point that all of our sins were laid on him. All of them. You know, past, present, future, your sins, my sins, the sins of all of mankind in all of the history of the world, they were laid on him. And that's why there was darkness over the land. He bore our sin. Now, I know we don't have time to really develop this too much, but you've got to understand he's a holy, holy, holy God. He had never experienced this. You know, sometimes, and I, and I just want to share this with you guys because I, I want you to know, I, I don't know what I want you to know, but, you know, I, we have hard days with people. You know, and sometimes I struggle with my kids. And sometimes they struggle with me. I was talking to my daughter the other day. I said, sweetheart, you know, if, if, what is it? What, are, what areas of my life do you think that, that I need to grow in? And, uh, you know, t I want you to critique me. And she was just like talking for like an hour and a half. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I'm just joking. 
You know, you know, but I wanted to listen to her. And we just struggle. We struggle sometimes. You know, and then this person in the church, they say that about you or this issue right here. Or just things happen, you know. And, uh, and as I'm going through life, you know, I'm just thinking, man, Lord, I just, there's just so many areas of my life that, that are just, you know, are wrong. But I know I have a relationship with you. I trust in you, Jesus. I trust in you, Lord. You're my Savior. One day when I die, I know I'm going to heaven. And I'm, when I'm there, you know, and I always like to tell people, let me ask you a question. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And, and if you say no, then why not, man? It's going to be cool. It's going to be awesome. You want to go to heaven. He did all the work. You know, so today my prayer is that you would receive Christ as your Lord and Savior because he wants you to go to heaven more than you want to go, more than you even can begin to imagine. But if you say yes, oh yeah, I'm going to heaven. Well, let me ask you this question. Why, why do you think you're going to heaven? Okay, now if you're here and you're saying, well, because I'm a good person, okay, you're not going to heaven. You're, you're on the wrong road. Oh, I'm a good person. I never murdered anybody. You know, I, I, I did a couple of misdemeanors, but there were no felonies. I have no strikes on my record, whatever the case may be, you know. I mean, you're, none of us are good enough. And so you need to receive the Lord today. You see, that's where we are. Jesus here, as he dies for us on the cross, he gives, a, he gives us a message. It's an important message that we need to embrace his sacrifice. When he was there on that cross, all of our sins were laid on him. And it says in verse 34, as a result of that, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Taken from Psalm 22. He wanted to direct their attention to Psalm 22. You guys, when you get a chance, read Psalm 22, written you know, by David. Man, before crucifixion was even invented, okay, and this is pretty trippy, before it was ever invented, it says, they pierced my hands and my feet. But there was the Lord with all our sins laid on him. He had in him who knew no sin. He experienced all the heartache of our sins. Do you ever cry when you pray? Do you ever hurt? Some of you here, you might even be depressed. You feel like you can't even go on. You have no strength anymore. And every day is just a battle for you. And all the ugly feelings, and we saw some of the things on the screen right here. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine, you know, you, you did an abortion and you feel so guilty about those things. You were molested. Maybe you molested someone. I mean, just rape, sexual sin, struggles in your marriage, strained relationships, all the, the ugly feelings that come with all of those things. He, he experienced all of that. God did. Because a lot of people, they get upset with God. They're like, if God was loving and God was real, why doesn't he stop all of this? He will one day. But in the meantime, you've got to know that all the things that have gone on and the, 
you know, the, the atrocities and the Holocaust and all that stuff. He experienced all that himself. The Bible says, when all the sins were laid on him. That's how deep he went. And, and not only that, here's the worst part of all, because you know in the garden he prayed, Lord, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to go to the cross. Father, if it's your will, and it's humanity speaking, you know, let this cup pass from me. But he said, not my will, but thy will be done. And the reason, the main reason he didn't want to go to the cross is because for the first time in all of eternity. Now, you guys, have you ever think of eternity? You ever think of how far back that is? Okay, start thinking about it right now. And then blow a fuse. Okay? You know, all of eternity, he had never, ever, 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 never, ever, 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 ever been separated from his father. And you know, it wasn't just any father. Some of you here, you're good fathers. And I thank God for you. I thank God for good fathers. Because they're so important. And good mothers. There's no one like you. You guys... Man, you're so important. But this was the Father God with His Son. Forever and ever they had been together. That was always their relationship. And what had happened was they had never been separated. And now, here is what Jesus just just, just didn't want to experience more than anything else, is the separation from His Father. And so there He is on the cross Bearing all of our sins, all the wickedness that man has ever done. And his father, he forsakes him because he can't look on sin. And you want to know something even more than that? When Jesus was on the cross, and we saw the video here, all the punishment that all those sins deserved, he experienced. For three hours on that first Good Friday. And if you were the only one who accepted him, he would have went through everything for you. Let that love change your life. God loves all of you guys. I'm his favorite, but he loves all of you here. (laughs) He does. He was forsaken so that we will never, ever, ever be forsaken. That's what the Bible says. Be content with such things as you have. Hebrews 13, 5, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. You're like, well, he did earlier today, about three hours ago. I had a hard hard time. He was there. Yeah, but the other day when I got really angry, he was there. But the other day when I just felt like I want to die, he was there. See, that's who he is. He was forsaken so that we would never have to be forsaken. You know, when they heard this, they uh, they went and they... They offered him uh, uh, some sour wine because they kind of misunderstood. They thought he was calling out for Elijah... And so it says in verse 36, someone ran, filled a sponge full of sour wine. They put it on a reed, offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And here's what ends up happening in verse 37. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice 
and breathed his last. Now, when you put the Gospels all together, this is what happened, okay? Jesus was there. He's dehydrated. Uh, there's all these technical terms, man. He Loss of blood, everything. His tongue is super dry. He can barely speak. And so this is what he says, I thirst. So, you know, you're like, well, why, why is he asking for, you know, for, for drink? I thirst. Okay. Put a sponge, give him some sour wine. And then when he wets his tongue and he wets his lips, the real reason he, he said that is because he wanted to say something. And it was at that point, I just, I can't even begin. To imagine the what, it, what he said in loud, he cried out. It says right here, it says he cried out with a loud voice. What did he cry out with a loud voice? You want to know what he cried out with a loud voice? It is finished. Imagine that. Our salvation had been finished by Christ, and he wanted everybody to know that. And so it says right there, he breathed his last. He he, he yielded up his spirit. They didn't take his life. He gave it, right? When it was time, when he had finished his job. And then what ends up happening, verse 38, then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And and when you study the Old Testament, you guys, the veil of the temple, you're like, what is that? Well, in the Old Testament, the Lord gave them the commandments first for the tabernacle, and then they bring it into the temple. And there was a room... Uh, 15 feet wide by 15, 45 feet long. It was a tabernacle. And, uh, and it had the first room you would walk into was called the holy place. It was 15 by 30. But then they had the most holy place, 15 by 15. And you would never go in there. You and I, we could never go in there. Hebrews chapter 9, I think it's verse 7, says the high priest could go in once a year but with the blood of the sacrifice. And what that was? You want to know what that was? The presence of God. The presence of God. And that veil, it separated everybody from that special presence of God. Nobody could experience the presence of God. And even the high priest, he could only go in there once a year. But now after the cross... That veil was torn in two, not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom. Who tore the veil? God did. And you know what he said? He said, come on in. There's nothing that separates you from God's presence any longer. Because Jesus, he finished the work. And what you need to do is you need to accept him as Lord and Savior. So now think about it, you guys. We can go into his presence. Hebrews 4 says, with boldness. See, that's what the Lord did. And I just love that right there. And so when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. And there were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the less, and, and Joseph and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. You know, when the thief saw Jesus die, he got saved. When the Roman centurion saw Jesus die, he got saved. When you see Jesus die, the question is, will you get saved? The women, they're so precious, huh? Ladies here, so many of you here, 
Thank you for your faithfulness. You are amazing. The women minister to Jesus. We see that throughout his ministry. They're providing for him. They're making him, you know, chorizo burritos and stuff like that, man. I mean, they were just so good to our Lord. And they were there at the cross watching. And they're going to be instrumental on Sunday. You watch what ends up happening. But as Jesus dies, it says in verse 42, Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who, notice this, was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage. He went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. And so when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. And then he brought fine linen, took him down, and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in a tomb, which had been hewn out of a rock, and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joses, observed where he was laid. This guy Joseph, he was a rich guy. And he was waiting for the kingdom. It would be dangerous to identify with Christ, but he was willing to, to do that. Now he goes before Pilate. Pilate's like, wow, I can't believe he's dead already. Are you sure? They went to go check and make sure he was dead. And they were breaking the bones. They didn't have to break Jesus' bones because he had already died. Some people say that, you know, oh, the only reason Jesus came out of the tomb is because he never died. Have you guys ever heard of that? The swoon theory? Those people, the cheese slid off their crackers, man. They just don't have a clue. <laughs> he died. He died, right? And so Joseph comes. John tells us Nicodemus comes. And Jesus borrows their grave. It's a hewn stone. No one's ever been there. No one's ever been in that stone. They wrap them up in linen. They put some spices in there. But they didn't finish doing the job. But the ladies saw it, everything because the Sabbath is now coming. So they got to stop. And so what ends up happening? They put him in that tomb. And then, you know, I think for a lot of them here, and if that's the way it would have ended, imagine that. Just thinking, wow, you know, everything just died. You know, we thought he was the one, but there he is, and, and, he, and he died, and it's over. But Sunday's coming, huh? I don't know if there's a more important message than the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about how the Jews, they didn't get it because it seemed too easy for them. They liked religion. And the Greeks didn't get it because it wasn't intellectual. You mean to tell me that God died for me on a cross as a common criminal? Yeah. You see... We were separated from him. And what ended up happening is our sins led us astray. God didn't like that. And he said, you know what? I want to hook him up again. And so what does he do? He sends his son. He's the only one that could pay that payment, that infinite payment. He had to be God. And he died for us on the cross. And, I, and I'm telling you this right here. And I can look around this room and I can see my brothers back there, my sisters back here. And I can tell you about people who used to be addicted to crystal meth or alcohol or pornography or sex or whatever it is. They had a sailor's mouth. They were religious. They were whatever the case may be. But Jesus Christ came into their life and there is now power in their life. 
Because they gave their life to Christ. And when you don't give your life to Christ, then there's no power. But you got to receive it. And the Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Going to church won't save you. Going to a Good Friday service won't save you. Going to an Easter service won't save you. You have to decide to follow Jesus Christ. Not a religion, but a relationship. You don't just give him your head. You give him your heart. You give him your life. And you'll never, you'll never regret it. Amen? For those of you guys who are Christians, wouldn't you say that that's the best decision you ever made? (laughs) Absolutely, man. There is a man by the name of Richard Cameron who was a a, a Christian, a really bold man. And uh, he lived in a time and in a place where the gospel was not received well. It was dangerous to be a Christian and it was definitely dangerous to preach. But this man um, and his father, they, they both loved the Lord. They loved Jesus and they would just share the gospel. The father got arrested, but the son, he just kept preaching. And when it got so dangerous, no one else was preaching. Can you imagine that? No one else was preaching. But he went out into the, into the fields and he preached, and he preached, and he preached. One day he preached before 3,000 people. As a result of that, he was arrested and he was executed. And they cut off his hands and they cut off his head. And they took his hands and they took his head to his father who was in prison. And they said, do you recognize him? And, and they thought that this would absolutely, you know, just make this man break. But the father, seeing this whole thing, he said, I recognize them. I know them. I know them. They are my sons. My own dear sons. But it is the Lord. And it is good. Because God cannot wrong me or mine. But he will make goodness and mercy to follow us all the days of our life. I can't tell you how much I love my son. To give him as a sacrifice for you, I could never do. Sorry, I love you, but not that much. But God loves you enough. And that's the good news. And that's what he's done. And so I pray you guys would follow him. Father, we thank you for allowing us to study tonight. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that you would allow that love that you have for us that is so amazing, Lord, to us.
We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.